I mentioned on previous episode that I've been dragging my feet when it comes to talking about Star Wars because I am sick of talking about Star Wars. Now, clearly, I'm the sort of guy who would start a movie nerd podcast, so I have very important feelings about Star Wars. That goes without saying. I saw the film when I was very young, and it left a deep impression on me, and there was a period for at least a year and a half where I was unwilling to talk about anything else, and it drove everyone in intimate contact with me insane. Uh, Just the entirety of the Disney trilogy and the other films that were made over it, and environment, and the discourse, and how everything had broken down. It's just whenever I think about Star Wars, it makes me very sad and tired. But if I go too long without mentioning Star Wars or doing a Star Wars episode, it's going to seem like I'm deliberately avoiding it. So yeah, I'm doing an Ewok movie. Here's your fucking Star Wars episode. My name is Ryan. This is a real deep dive. All right. Joining me for this episode is my brother-in-law, Pete. Hi, Pete. How's it going? All right. You're the guy who picked this one. And uh, I think the first question is why? Why did you want to do an episode about the Ewok movie? Uh, As with many people, it's something that's from my childhood. So I have fond memories of it, but it's a complete piece of trash. I remember seeing it uh, on the Disney Channel. And the only things I remembered about it is that there was a starship crashing and that it was boring. Um, pretty much. The first Ewok movie plays very much of, there's a voiceover, and there's just long shots of Ewoks just traveling. Kind of like Lord of the Rings in that way. They are a caravan of courage, which is the official title of this film. Now, because it is very hard for even me to think of things to talk about when it comes to this movie, I want to do a bit about the background of the Ewok characters to begin with before we dive into this thing. George Lucas initially wanted Wookiees to help the protagonist defeat the Empire and Return of the Jedi, but he was married to the idea of them being sort of a Stone Age primitive civilization, and he had decided that the Wookiees were going to be more technologically advanced than that. His idea behind this was that the Viet Cong guerrillas being able to defeat the more technologically advanced American army during the war, which had very recently wrapped when Return of the Jedi was being made. A concept that is kind of patronizing to Vietnam, because while the United States was more wealthy and had higher tech gadgets, it's not like the Viet Cong were Neanderthals. That's that's a bit much. No, they also had guns. It was a straight-up war. It's not like they had sticks. Anyways, since the Wookiees were out, he decided to create a new race, and since the Wookiees were tall, these Ewok guys were going to be short. Are we just going to not acknowledge Wookiee, Ewok? He just reversed the word. (laughs) Uh, He didn't. The Ewoks are named after the Miwok tribe. They're a a group of Native Americans who were indigenous to the California Redwood Forest that they shot those Return of the Jedi scenes in, which is something that the Miwoks, I'd imagine, find a a bit patronizing. Possibly. I, I haven't found any information about that. Maybe they think it's cute. I don't know. Their language is derived from the Kalmyk people of Russia. So they're Native American Russians. Uh, yes, we're talking Siberia, where they have more in common, like, racially and ethnically and culturally and traditionally with Mongolians than with Russians. But technically, they're Russians. All right, good to know. At least in a government sense of it. Anthony Daniels invented a whole bunch of the Ewok words, just ad-libbing based on recordings that he heard, which I'd imagine the Kalamak people of Russia would find a bit patronizing. (laughs) So that is three different people that have more of a right to be mad at Ewoks than your nerdy ass. (laughs) 
The character designs themselves are derived from the griffin, I, I'm probably butchering this, Brusiloi, a dog breed that Lucas had. That is why they have these big beady glass eyes and expressionless faces, because they're tiny toy dogs that were genetically bred to be cute and can't breathe too good. It's kind of sad. I mean, didn't Indiana Jones also come from his one of his dogs? So we got Indiana Jones on one end of the spectrum and Ewoks on the other end from George Lucas's pets. Yeah, I was talking earlier on the Phantom of the Paradise episode with your wife that out of all the new Hollywood people, Brian De Palma was considered the weird one, which is saying something, but George Lucas wasn't very far behind. Not at all. Which is you know, very apparent whenever we, we talk about one of his projects when nobody is willing to say no to him and his wife isn't going to cut out all the stuff that doesn't work and you, 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 you just get a big whole mess of weirdness. Anyways, let's get into the plot of this film, such as it is. Now, that was very kind, saying it has a plot. <laughs> okay, it opens with the Tawani family crashing their star cruiser on the forest moon of Endor, stranding themselves. Katarin and Jeremit, they're the parents, they are abducted right away by the Gorax, a giant monster, leaving the kids, Mace and Sindel, completely alone. The children are found by the Ewok Deej and the uh, diminutive Ewok, even by their standards, Widget. Mace thinks the Ewoks are a threat and attacks them with his blaster, but he's readily subdued before he can hurt anyone. The Ewoks take them to their home, where Sindel comes down with a fever. Mace helps the Ewoks forage for medicine to help her. And at this point, I should point out that whenever the Ewoks are interacting with each other, they're speaking Ewokese, the aforementioned dialect, and it's not translated below like in Star Wars movies. There is this overarching narrator who is spur lives for some goddamn reason, who is just spoon-feeding you what all the exposition means and what all the Ewoks are doing, which is something that I will be talking about later on when we're deconstructing the themes such as they are. After Sindel recovers, Mace grabs her so they can steal off away into the night to find their parents. Uh, through some really terrible day-for-night lenses, it is very clearly not night. They are attacked by a boar wolf. They hole up in a tree overnight and are rescued in the morning by the Ewoks and discover that a life monitor belonging to the parents is on the beast after it's subdued with a tranquilizer dart. The kids consult the village elder, Logre, who uses a scrying top. It's kind of like this giant dreidel with portals on it. And he discovers that their parents are being held prisoner by the Gorax, who lives in a forbidden land where no Ewok has ever emerged from alive after venturing into it. However, the Ewoks are convinced to help the children very easily, and uh, a caravan of Ewoks, the Caravan of Courage, is formed to help the children rescue the parents. Each of them are given some sort of magic item to help them along their way. Mace, being a bit of a brat, is upset that he's only given a rock and he just sort of tosses it away. But Widget pockets it because, spoiler, that rock's going to be useful later on. There are two other items that haven't been given away. They have to convince two more Ewoks to go on the suicide run with them. The first is the boisterous Chuka Truck, who is something of a lumberjack. He almost kills them by felling a tree, but... Then they have an axe-throwing contest, and then they become buds, and he, he gets one of the magic items and helps them out. The other one is some kind of sorceress, but she barely does anything, so I, I didn't even bother writing down her character's name. It's not even as important as the wizard in the Conan movies. They also bump into a bunch of fireflies. At first, I thought it was like a will-o'-the-wisp that was going to lead Mace into more peril, but it ended up being like this friendly little fairy creature that is named Isrina. I'm not sure how they came up with that, but that's her name. Anyway, she gets added to the party. 
Once again, they face various perils, including like a lake that won't let you out after you fall into it. A magic stick solves that problem, so on and so forth. This film is very episodic. I'll also be talking about that in the after bits. When they get to the Gorax's lair, it's blocked by this giant rock, and the, it's pointed out to them by a compass that is inside the rock that Widget saved. Huh? Yeah. Mace, you learned a valuable lesson there. When the Ewoks give you garbage, it's actually valuable. The party battles the Gorax. Katarine and Jeremy are freed, but Chukatrok is killed in a cave-in. The Gorax is flung into a chasm, but he won't go down for good until Mace strikes it with Chukatrok's axe. That's, that's symbolic. That's this film trying to give you some pathos there. And then, after the day is saved, this film ends in a similar way to Return of the Jedi with a big old teddy bear picnic, and the Ewoks play their folk music, and everyone sings and dances and laughs, and it's great. The end. <laughs> they all lived happily ever after, maybe. This film takes place between uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, if you give a crap about that sort of thing. However, after Disney bought Star Wars, they decided that only the uh, the prequel trilogy, the original trilogy, and the Clone Wars cartoon count, so the Ewok films aren't canon anymore. Once again, if you give a crap about that. Uh, one fun tidbit, though. They re-canonized the Fireflies and the Gorax in various extended media in the new canon. I mean, they did go through a lot of trouble to re-canonize Thrawn, so of course the Forest Fairy needs to come back. <laughs> Alright, the development of this. George Lucas has a story credit on this, and he was actually more involved than I initially assumed after I dug into this. He wanted more involvement in the TV film uh, following the Star Wars Holiday Special debacle, which he continues to be embarrassed by. He co-wrote the film with Bob Carew, who was the nanny for his children. That explains a lot. The story was conceived as a sort of cross between Hansel and Gretel and Tarzan, which, if you squint, you can sort of see that. I'm still leaning heavily on Lord of the Rings ripoff all the way. There is a fellowship, but they're not retrieving a magical object. They're just saving some negligent parents. <laughs> this is the last Industrial Light and Magic production to feature stop-motion animated creatures in any kind of big capacity. The budget was too low for the motorized puppets that uh, ILM was using at the time, most notably Jabba the Hutt. The matte paintings for this film were added afterwards because they blocked off parts of the camera and then just sort of pasted them in afterwards. This is the same approach that 2001 A Space Odyssey used, which is a slightly more prominent film than this. It's very strange to hear any kind of comparison between 2001 A Space Odyssey and the Ewok movies. Now, one thing I stumbled across is that Warwick Davis, who plays Wicked, and Eric Walker, who is Mace, the you know preteen boy, they had to uh, balance the shooting schedule with schoolwork. And Lucas, he thought it would be a fun idea to like give them their own little movie camera and shoot a making of the Ewok movie while it's going on. And it was thrown on YouTube in 2014. It's still there. It must have more merit than the movie itself. Davis and Walker both have fond memories of the film. They each individually expressed that they were bummed that they weren't asked to do a DVD commentary for Caravan of Courage when it came out. It's the, the DVD you lent me because I didn't have this. It has no bonus features whatsoever. Yeah, they shouldn't be offended. There was no DVD commentary. There's barely DVD menus. I'll say, they'll still do it. You know... We'll be talking about this film's inability to get on Disney Plus a bit later. All right, for the release, this was aired on ABC on November 25th, 1984. It got a theatrical release overseas, particularly in Europe. I don't know, for a moment I was surprised, but Europe plays by different rules than America. Well, I should say America plays by different rules than the rest of the world. 
Europe has different school vacation schedules. Maybe they're able to slip it in. As I mentioned before, Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure, as of this recording, is not on Disney+. Walker has petitioned Disney to add the film, and he wants to put a petition together. And once it gets, I think, either 50 or 500,000 signatures, he has promised to deliver it in person to Lucasfilm in costume. I don't think he's getting through the front door. I think they'll be polite to him. <laughs> I, depending on how cynical I'm feeling at the time, whenever I think about that, I either think that's kind of a nice touch or that it's a little sad. Yeah, I can agree. I feel both feelings at the same time because that is pretty sad. I, I looked up what Eric Walker was up to it. He's not much of an actor in this film, so he didn't really have much of a career afterwards. But he, he is involved in film in some capacity, some kind of behind the camera type of thing. He seems to be doing all right. He also seems to be fond of this film. It was a fun thing he did as a kid. He looks back on it affectionately. Considering what happens to various other child actors, he seems pretty well adjusted. He, he, I think he lucked out. He's not Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, good for him. I mean, this from what it sounds like, this was a pleasant summer experience in his childhood. Yeah, he got to make a you know fun little Star Wars spinoff movie when he was 11 or however old he was. I probably would have felt the same way if I was him. Anyways, when it came out, it got very mediocre reviews. The The most pointed critiques were that the film was aggressively simple and it does nothing astonishing, which is very gentle, but I agree with both. Yep. However, it did win an Emmy for its special effects, which I think the stop-motion stuff looks cool, but I'm a very easy lay for that. I'm a, I'm a sucker for, like, Ray Harryhausen-looking monsters romping about. However, that, that bit where they fight the giant spiders, those are Halloween store spiders. Oh, yeah. That, that kind of drops in quality at that part of the film. Now, for this film's legacy, which I didn't put in scare quotes on my notes, even though I really should, the film got a sequel next year called Ewoks, The Battle for Endor, which you mentioned that you preferred The Battle for Endor when you were a kid, but... Well, to be clear, when I was a kid, it's very much like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for me. When I was a kid, I preferred the second Ewok movie and the third live-action Turtles movie. I thought you were going to say the second live-action Ninja Turtles movie. You liked the third one the most? When I was a kid, yes. As an adult... I could not finish either of the aforementioned sequels. You mentioned that Wilford Brimley is in the second one. I have no intention of ever watching this, so but by all means, spoil away. Uh, the second one opens with the death of the little girl's entire family. That's how it starts. Very Alien 3, just everyone fucking dies for no reason. Because there's a group of pirates, or marauders as they call themselves, who've, who are stuck on Endor. But they seem to be doing pretty well for themselves. They have a castle... And they have a witch who serves their king. And they harass the Ewoks from time to time because what the hell else are you going to do on the forest moon of Endor? But they seem to think that a piece of technology that the humans have, the humans being the little girl and Wilford Brimley, who's another human who's trapped on this planet because apparently it's a fucking death trap in this end of the galaxy. But the Marauders think they have a piece of technology which they think is magic and is going to get them off the, the planet because it's like a ship engine or whatever. So the title Battle for Endor is a little girl, some Ewoks, and the diabetes guy fighting a bunch of Klingon-esque space pirates. That does sound more interesting than Caravan of Courage, but you have emphatically told me that it is a far more boring movie. Despite being the war movie of the two, nothing happens for the first 80% of it, and then... The action scenes at the end during the climactic battle are childish on the level of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. There's violence in the loosest sense of it. The only cool thing to come out of the second Ewok movie 
is that the witch who I said serves the evil people was sort of retconned into the EU continuity to be a Dathomiri witch, which are really cool in the expanded universe. So this sort of made her cool in retrospect after the movie. Right, the Ewoks also got an animated series that ran for two seasons on uh, ABC from 1985 to 1987. I have not seen a single episode. It looks terrible. I have also not seen any second of this animated series and probably never will. Another thing is that there's a very popular fan theory that Captain Phasma is the older version of Sindel. This was playfully endorsed by Gwendolyn Christie, who played uh, Phasma. However, you told me that Phasma's backstory has been extended in the uh, the, the back matter stuff, and now it is not plausible, which kind of sucks, because that is the most interesting part of this film. If it makes you feel better, the actual novel they did come up with to explain Phasma and her life is she grew up on a Mad Max-style crazy world where Gangs are constantly battling each other in nature with little bits of technology they have left from a destroyed civilization. Yeah, my headcan is the, she's the Ewoks and Del lady, I prefer that. <laughs> Next thing I want to talk about is just that, well, just the nature of people just disliking the Ewoks in general, because until, like, Jar Jar Banks came along, the, these were the most despised little bastards in the in the Star Wars continuity, which is, I think, might be just sort of an echo chamber, because... The Ewoks wouldn't have appeared in so many spin-offs and stuff if people didn't like them. There must be so many people who are into them, a silent majority of some kind. Uh, I think the key thing here is what comes up in a lot of Star Wars arguments I have with people who don't like Star Wars but claim to be hardcore fans, is that Star Wars is for children. I'm 33 years old, and I'll fully admit that a thing I love is just for children, and Ewoks are cool to children. <laughs> That's who loves Ewoks. I mean, I didn't think that Ewoks were cool when I was a kid, but I, once again, somebody must, and there must be enough to push all this merchandise and spin-off features. I do think that it's a little overdone when people say that the Ewoks ruined Return of the Jedi. Uh, Return of the Jedi is a lumpy-ass movie, and it is easily the weakest of the original trilogy, but that is not the Ewoks' fault. Granted, I do believe that those Endor battle scenes would be far more generously regarded by fans my age and older if they were Wookiees. Because Planet of Wookiees helping Han Solo and Princess Leia smash a bunch of stormtroopers in the forest, I mean, that shit writes itself. And having it be a teddy bear picnic instead is just objectively lamer. But, you know, Return of the Jedi still has this awkward pacing because George Lucas went through a crappy divorce with his editor, threw out all his bad ideas, and streamlined the first two movies. And that is very evident in Return of the Jedi. And... Darth Vader's heel turn from bad guy to good guy is just really sudden and not properly telegraphed and not set up and not properly seated in the previous films at all. And there is no way for you to get around that, no matter how much John Williams' score rules during those scenes. <laughs> that is not the Ewoks' fault. Uh, as a person whose favorite Star Wars movie is Return of the Jedi... I can't disagree with anything you just said. The movie technically has two scenes. It has saving Han from Jabba scene, and then the rest of the movie, which is just Endor. Like, it's a weirdly paced movie. Kind of the exact opposite of The Rise of Skywalker, which has 500 scenes. This is something that always comes up in my mind whenever people bash the prequels of the Disney trilogy. This is that most of the problems that they have with those are also present in the original trilogy. It's just that we saw those with, as kids and fell in love with them, so we're cutting them slack that these new ones don't deserve. 
I have found out that, you know, a lot of Gen Z kids who grew up with the prequels, they're a lot kinder to them than I am. Oh, there are people who unabashedly say that the prequels are their favorite movies, and they literally don't understand why people don't like them. Well, yeah, let's go into the themes and the criticisms of Caravan of Courage of Ewok and Adventure. This is going to be shorter than most of the episodes because there is just so little to hang on the, onto this film, which is why I talked about the background of the Ewoks and criticism of Return of the Jedi, because I need to pad this out with something. <laughs> This film was directed by John Cordy, who had worked with Lucas before on Twice Upon a Time, an animated film. His background is in Sesame Street, so this is very clearly seen as a kid's movie. He did a lot of TV movies for kids after uh, Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventure. And the direction is fairly anonymous. The only real difference is that there are a lot of wipes, because this is a Star Wars film. George Lucas worships at the altar of Kurosawa. Kurosawa uses a lot of wipes, so Star Wars movies have lots of wipes. But uh, Kurosawa always used his wipes as a storytelling device. He's one of the sharpest editors in the business. Even his three-hour movies flow very steadily. This is not the case in the Ewok movie. This is, this is a very awkwardly paced movie. I keep using the word awkwardly paced, but it fits. This is very episodic. Something happens where one of the characters almost die, and then another thing that is not related at all, where one of the other characters almost die, and it's just stitched together haphazardly. This movie is 97 minutes long, and it is a very, very long 97 minutes. I was waiting for it to be over about 12 minutes in. <laughs> now, a good chunk of that is just due to how the storytellers do not trust the audience. They think that it's small children, they're probably right, and everything needs to be spoon-fed to them. Now, the Ewoks are essentially non-verbal, and like a lot of mute characters, such as the Minions, they are rooted very heavily in old-timey rubber hose cartoons, silent film comedians, and uh, vaudeville. So there's lots of little scenes where, where the Ewoks get into, like, Three Stooges mayhem with each other, and none of it is paced well. None of it is shot well. None of it is funny. It's just a bunch of little people in teddy bear suits rolling around on the grass with each other. And it's the movie clearly wants you to laugh at it and you just can't. It's, it's something you put on that entertains the hell out of your, like, two-year-olds. But you as an adult are just like, nothing's happening. There's not a thing happening. And while nothing is happening, Burl Ives is throwing exposition at you explaining what is happening he's like oh this is the ewok village elder and he is telling them where the gorax is and now they need to put together the caravan fellowship to go and chase after it and burl ives always has a sort of languid delivery but he does sound very bored in this this is very clearly paycheck work for him if you don't recognize the name Burl Ives because you're under the age of 50. He is a folk musician who came up in the late 40s, early 50s, around the same time as like the Weavers and Pete Seeger and all that stuff. You might recognize him from the Rankin-Bass stop-motion animated Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer film. He is the snowman narrator in that, and the snowman is modeled after him. So the very first time I saw him, it's was like, oh, it's the snowman, except he's a person. I also saw him in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, the 1950s version of the Tennessee Williams play where they're not allowed to discuss the homosexuality. And if you're familiar with that play, you're going to think, how the hell could they make a movie like that? And they, the most interesting part of that film is just looking at him tap dance around it and imagining steam shooting out of Tennessee Williams' ears while he's watching it. Burl Eyes is like the burly southern patriarch of the family named Big Daddy. And he's just like, hey, Paul Newman, you're married to Elizabeth Taylor. She's got a nice shape to her. Why won't you fuck her? 
It's because he's gay. It was really conflicting with my image of Burl Ives as the narrator of the Ewok movie. <laughs> I just imagine Burl Ives in a recording studio for the Ewok movie just barely able to keep his eyes open. Like, he's almost as completely out of it as Orson Welles in the Transformers film. I mean, he must have been, like, he goes from, like, oh, this is a nice, wholesome Christmas story to, what the hell is an Ewok? Anyways, the music for this film was composed by Peter Bernstein. It is eerily similar to what John Williams does for Spielberg's family-friendly films, especially in his light, fluttery uh, use of woodwinds. That being said, absolutely nothing is memorable about this. It doesn't particularly sound like a Star Wars score. They do not use any of Williams' motifs, which, for the Disney movies, I'm kind of hoping that they get away from Williams and start forging their own paths, because it's starting to get really repetitive, and you need to have Star Wars start doing other stuff if we're going to keep going back to these, but this is the Ewok movie. I keep getting back to that, this just being a work of hackery. It really is. It's just a bunch of guys pulling paychecks, putting together this thing that is probably going to do reasonably well because people like Star Wars. That's what the Ewok adventure is at the end of the day. I feel like I might be being too mean to this. <laughs> it is not good. It's pretty dull. I consider this entirely skippable, unless you are a much, much bigger Star Wars person than I am. But, I mean, it's going after the low-hanging fruit. I, I feel that there are more productive uses of my time than spending hours upon hours expounding upon why this doesn't work. Especially since, you know, Eric Walker and Warwick Davis seem to be having fun making it. Yeah, they seem to have had very positive experience with the Ewok movies, so all the power to them, I guess. Yeah. All right, and well... Didn't even get the 30 minutes, but uh, that's everything I have about this one. Is there uh, anything we didn't cover that you'd like to put in? Uh, no, I don't think there's a whole lot to cover with the Ewok movies. I mean, you don't even have to do a second episode about Battle for Endor, because we talked about as much as you need to about that movie. Uh, all right, I have no intention of doing that, so thanks for giving me a pass. <laughs> I guess all I can say is uh, your, your earlier mention of if you're a hardcore Star Wars fan... I do own the DVD that has both of the movies on it, and I haven't thrown it away yet, so I guess that says enough about me. <laughs> Come to Pete's house, you can watch the Ewok movie. I'm sorry I don't have the cartoon. I don't think that's ever been released on physical media. Okay, and on that, that's one more episode in the can. Good night, everybody.